0: Hi, I'm Nick. I haven't actually uh, been formally introduced, um, but I'm usually the one over here for the past few months uh, singing. Uh, But sometimes I do this. I'm the new uh, worship and formation pastor here at Trinity Northside, and I'm glad to be here um, and honored to uh, be um, reflecting on the word with you this morning. I'm, uh, yeah, it's good to be here with all y'all. And despite my use of all y'all, I'm not local. Um, I am originally, grew up, born and raised in central Illinois. Um, And if you don't know anything about central Illinois, which I assume you don't, because no one does, um, the first thing I'll tell you is that it is a hotbed for tornadoes. Uh, As a kid, I remember frequently getting ready for bed and uh, on our house on 313 Victoria Drive, uh, when the radio, yes, the radio, would tell us that there was a tornado warning. And my uh, parents would usher us down our sort of bi-level house, the half staircase, down through uh, the basement with brown carpet and wood paneling and, yes, even brown couches. Um, in through the laundry room and back into the tiny, tiny basement bathroom. Safest place in the house. No window. I can still feel that room. The cramped quiet of it. But at least when that would happen, we would have an end in sight. Tornado warning issued for McLean McLean County until 10.20 p.m., But over the course of the past couple years of pandemic, all of us have learned all too well what it means to have our doors shut and locked in fear, with no discernible end in sight. Two years ago, uh, we were living here in Atlanta in uh, a second floor apartment with two windows, Uh, no direct exit to the outside. It was a large and and very, you know, safe space to be hunkered down. We were very grateful, but I definitely became accustomed to the claustrophobia that had us wondering whether it was still worth reaching out and clinging to the things that we cherished before we lived behind locked doors. It is here that the risen Jesus appears in our gospel text this morning, into a room where fear can be felt in the walls, where hope is in short supply. How long do you think these days felt? The disciples returning from that faithful Friday, maybe just a few at a time, to the same place, rehearsing the same story, spending their time torn between arguments and Heavy silences, trying to find a way forward, all stuck in the same space, clueless about how to move on. Some insisting that they should just go back to fishing, and others saying even that is too risky at that, this point. It is here that Jesus suddenly appears and says, peace, peace. Be with you he reaches out his hands he shows his side to the disciples not only marks of his passion but now of his victory he has passed through the worst that is possible and so they immediately they rejoice And in case they were too shocked or confused to hear it the first time, Jesus says again, peace be with you. But now he continues. Just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Then he does something that uh, in our uh, COVID days might make us cringe a bit. He breathes on them. This action and his words communicate to them, not just breath, but saying just as God breathed life into dust in the beginning, just as God breathed life into dry bones in the prophet Ezekiel, now I breathe upon you. You are being brought back to life. Same spirit that hovered over the void, over the waste, is filling your lungs, as we have already sung. And Jesus adds something that might seem a little odd, like a non sequitur. If if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He moves immediately from the recreating spirit to their power to forgive. But this is exactly the connection the Apostle Paul would later make in his second letter to the Corinthians when he writes, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we, ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. Since God is our life, our breath in which we live and move and have our being, being recreated and being forgiven are one and the same. Being reconciled to God is new creation. And now these disciples are sent with exactly that mission and message of forgiveness, of reconciliation, inspired by the very same spirit that lifted Christ out of the grave. But have you ever had a story that you were so excited, like this kind of story, to share with uh, someone, a friend or a spouse? Just so excited. Something hilarious happens to you at work and you can't wait to tell them. You're driving home, rehearsing it, imagining it, how you're gonna tell them in, the, in your mind. And then when you finally get to, you, you start off so enthusiastic. Um, but as the words are coming out of your mouth and as you're seeing the face of the person you're talking to, you realize it's not landing. It's not the same. And what do we say? I guess you just had to be there. Just one disciple was missing that day. Well, two. We won't talk about Judas. And we don't know why Thomas wasn't there. Maybe he was the last to find his way back to this shared space. Maybe he was the only one bold enough willing to step out of the house. You know, sometimes Thomas gets bad rap. Doubting Thomas, we call him. The character cast as the skeptic or the cynic, the one among the disciples who demanded evidence. In today's world, maybe he's the atheist or agnostic or the one who walks away from faith. But what do we actually know about Thomas? John is the only gospel that gives Thomas a voice, twice. Two times, he steps into the foreground and speaks. First in chapter 11, When the disciples learn of the death of their friend, Lazarus, Thomas is the one to say, let us go that we may die with him. He is devoted to his friend to the point of death. And then in chapter 14, Jesus is telling his disciples or trying to tell his disciples that he is going to the cross to prepare a place for them. And Thomas is the one to respond, Lord, we we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? This is not someone standing back, suspending judgment, waiting to see what happens. Thomas is ready to follow, ready to jump in, ready to sacrifice. So maybe Thomas isn't perched at a podium or hunched over a microscope demanding proof. Maybe he desires to see Jesus' wounds not as empirical evidence of a fact, but because his friend, his teacher, is dead. And he can't bring himself to believe otherwise. Reflecting on this text, one ancient church father proposes that Thomas, quote, did not so much disbelieve what was told him, as much as he was driven to the depths of sorrow, unquote. And it was not cold skepticism, but grief that kept him from believing. It was too good to be true. This kind of thing doesn't happen. And he had already trusted and followed Jesus. And look where that got him, huddled hopelessly behind locked doors, What now, is he supposed to expose himself to that kind of devastating disappointment again? Uh, Unless I can touch him again, knowing that it is the same man that I walked with, that I spoke with, I can't let myself believe. Or maybe it was the regret. This one so willing to die with Lazarus. This one so eager to follow the way of Jesus like all the others, had left him. Last Sunday, Father John walked us through the story of Mary encountering the risen Christ in the garden and asked the question of why is she weeping? And concluded with how she saw the Lord. And the quote kept running through my head uh, from Saint Oscar Romero that there are, only, there are things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. And today I wonder if it is also true that sometimes there are things that can only be believed by hearts that have been broken, hearts even that have doubted. It is worth noting, too, And all the rest of the disciples had to see it to believe it too. But a week after the others, Jesus takes the time and he appears to Thomas as well. And he says again, peace be with you. He doesn't chide or chastise Thomas. He simply says, look, reach out and touch. See for yourself And let my peace be with you. Interestingly, the story doesn't tell us whether Thomas did in fact kind of dive into a full-scale investigation of Jesus's wounds in his hand and in his side. As our, uh, I had a, uh, oh, Stephen's gonna pull it up for me. As our friend Caravaggio here depicts we don't know whether this actually happened because immediately the words seem to come out of Thomas's mouth. My Lord and my God. And so we don't know whether he did something like what Caravaggio depicts or what I think of in, um, in the movie Hook when a little boy is tugging at the the skin on the face of Robin Williams. Oh, there you are, Jesus. But Either way, out of his grief, out of his regret, his doubt, Thomas ends up making a confession more clear, more complete than any other in this whole story. So much so that it seems that John's Gospel is wrapping everything up in these moments with Thomas's words, my Lord and my God. Thomas is the one who finally proclaims what the the gospel of John has said from the beginning, that the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh. And here is that flesh, bearing the marks of crucifixion and victory, and they bear witness to that. And so just as John the Baptist, the forerunner, prepares the way for the reader, prepares the way for Jesus to arrive, so also Thomas prepares the way for us to receive the risen Christ. With Jesus' words immediately after, blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Because here, the gospel writer immediately turns to the reader. These things are written so that you may believe, just as Thomas did. A story is an invitation for us to move from doubt and despair into trust and hope. A story is an invitation to see and feel those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified, as we have sung. To know that Christ's wounds, the wounds of all humanity, your wounds, have been carried into heaven into the life of God. Even resurrection does not erase, but embraces, transforms suffering. And this story finally is a call to go and do the same. We are sent just as Jesus was sent, to receive and to share our deepest wounds and allow the scars to bear witness to God's healing. We are sent just as Jesus was sent to forgive, to reconcile, to make things whole and to be made whole, no matter what wounds we carry. We are sent in this way because we have been given the peace of the risen Christ. And so, even today, on this, the first day of the week, as we are gathered in a room together to reach out and touch Christ, to receive from him in your doubts, in your fears, in your loss and grief, behind your locked doors. Hear the words of Jesus. Peace be with you. Amen.